2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of our discussion of the offense against the Eagles in that first preseason game. We talked a little bit about the Ravens' win streak in the first episode, and with me to do that again is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to see you. Uh, Jordan is uh, featured frequently, I will say, on the Ravens' Situation Room, which is also on filmstudybaltimore.com, and uh, he's at Ravens' Sit Room on Twitter if you want to follow him there. But uh, we talked about the backup QB battle in the beginning. We talked a little bit about the offensive line deployment, although we'll talk a little bit more specifically about some offensive linemen and how they played in in this second one. We talked a little bit about scheme, but this half of the show, all about individual player performances. So, uh, Jordan, great to have you back on this. Anything you want to lead off with before we get into some individual players? No, just, you know, it, it, especially for some of these individual guys, it's
3: always fun to see some of these players that aren- wouldn't have a chance to to get get one. You know, I was watching the game this week with a friend that's not a big football fan. And he was kind of like, he's like, why are you even watching this? He's like, why do these games even matter? And, and I said, for some of these guys that are playing out here, um, you know, this matters a lot. Like, like this is their chance to like, like th- this, this might be their one audition. Or, you know, this preseason set of time period is their one chance to to really get a good look to crack an NFL roster. Um, and it means their livelihood. So it's, it's cool to be able to get to talk about that, to see some of these guys weigh in on that and, and hopefully have some nice things to say about some guys that, you know, may be on the bubble here, but find their way to another team or whatever that might look like.
2: Yeah, it's a very good point. And there, there are probably between two and five guys where their future is really in doubt right now. There's a lot of players we know exactly where they're going to end up. They're either going to be on their roster. There's no way in hell they're going to be in their roster. <laughs> we already know they're going to be on the practice squad in some cases because you know, in terms of positional depth, they're the, they're the next guy up for, for your team. And then there's a couple of guys where you don't really know exactly how they fit into the team. And, and, uh, and maybe they end up with you. Maybe they end up with someone else. Ben Mason kind of fit into this category a couple of years ago um anyway we'll uh we'll talk a a little bit about a number of players why don't we start off with the quarterbacks here i think it's a it's a it's a position a lot of people want to talk about we'll finish with the wide receiver wide receivers because that's a position everybody seems to want to talk about particularly this year but in terms of quarterbacks who, who would you like to talk about first i mean i'll talk about
3: uh tyler huntley um first because i think that i i think that we saw and we talked about this a little bit on the, the prior podcast um, that we put together here. But we saw the differentiation of why I think he's going to be the backup quarterback for this team. I think that every year the Ravens want to make you think that certain positions in certain spots are competitive um, when they've, they've already kind of got their mind made up around some of them. I thought the clear differentiation of the zip on the throws from Huntley, his ability to read the offense overall, his kind of ability to scan the field, all the things that you need to see from him. Um, understanding when to scramble and not scramble, um, all seemed to be, he just seemed to be very much in control of this game, um, which is not the feeling that I got at all from, from Johnson or Brown.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I would agree that certainly Brown had a very difficult game in terms of how he threw the ball, ended up with a quarterback rating of about six, but, um, it just, it wasn't, what happened was, was very much not good with him, including the pick six with, with Johnson. I thought that he really did go against the ones on the Philadelphia defense, and so that was part of the problem. But I tell you what, that Roma Philadelphia cornerbacks is freaking loaded. But they, you know, they're going to Ringo and Ricks late in this game. I mean, they're guys we would love to have in the draft the last you know couple of years, anytime. Anytime. Let's put it that way. If we had a Ringo and a Rick's on this roster, they would have much more prominent roles. They they might be the number two and three cornerbacks on this team.
3: Uh, you know, I I think we talked, I alluded to this a bit that I think that the hype that Rick's got from his performance in this game was more about jumping routes and over like badly overplaying. And that in a, in a game where the Ravens wanted to attack him, he would have given up two touchdowns on double moves
2: in a hot second in this game. Um, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on that, but you're not really saying that Rick's is underneath the quality of say our fourth quarterback. Are you? I mean
3: the Ravens with injuries, et cetera, it's hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. And also the Ravens just ran generic, like the Eagles were way more intentional about the offense that they ran, who they were targeting. They were definitely using kind of like schematic approaches to attack either like specific positions on the field. I don't think it was players per se, um, but there was a lot more intentionality in what they did. And when you have that disparity, this is my problem with watching preseason games sometimes, that disparity and intentionality, this is what makes NFL games so amazing to watch um, and what makes them such great television is that the, the full intentionality of both teams, the strategies, the adjustments, and the constant kind of like push and pull of position groups and players and all of that as a dynamic, that chess nature to football is what makes it a really great game, in my opinion. The preseason strips, a lot of that out of the equation, um, and so I thought Ricks played really well. But again, against which receivers on the Ravens' part, against what kind of routes, and against what kind of offense, I'm just not ready to sign up for the Ricks as an
2: All-Pro quarterback. That
3: oh, he was, I, he was, he was getting he was getting national media attention for his performance in this screen.
2: You you don't have to sign up for the Ricks as an All-Pro cornerback situation to say Ricks Stevens, Ricks Stevens. Who would I rather have? You, know, you, you can still go through that. So, All right. Um, well, let's keep going on. With, with, with Tyler Huntley, very nice over-the-top throw to Vokalek um, down the right sideline. Uh, that was that was his nicest throw of the game. It was his longest, certainly. I thought it was also his nicest in terms of putting air under the ball, uh, knowing who his receiver is in terms of being a bigger guy and, and, and dropping it right in the bucket. Uh, Vokalek isn't somebody who's going to run away from anyone, so you can use some of that space Uh, that he had a lead on the on the defensive back in that case it wasn't defensive back it was a linebacker it was bradley who got hurt later um who was covering him but it's it was it was a place where he used that space well dropped the ball in the bucket and and ended up being a big play for with some still some yards after the catch
3: and he had the throw he had the touchdown throw to uh, wallace as well
2: beautiful throw beautiful throw they had a couple really nice ones yeah, the, the, the throw to Wallace was a complete trust throw, and the timing was perfect on it. So, you know, for for Wallace to turn at exactly the right moment, exactly lose that cornerback, and I forget who that was, but I do know he had his head down as he walked out of bounds. While you know Wallace clearly had the touchdown, and the, the crowd's going wild. It's uh, that was a bad position. He knew he got pretty, beat pretty bad at the at the, st- at the top of the stem there.
3: One, well, and that's the you know we we talked a little bit on the last podcast about some of those kind of back shoulder. I, they're not fades because they're thrown to the front side of the play. It doesn't have to go over the defender, but those kind of back shoulder right. um, end zone plays. And, you know, you wonder if they were working on it for that exact timing purpose. Like what's the depth, what's the route, when do you need to throw it? When, do, when does that need to be locked in? It was, it was good to see two different receivers for the Ravens who don't catch a lot of passes like that regularly be synced up. I, that, I think that says something about Todd Munkin and his attention to detail with routes, I think we saw a lot of a lack of attention to detail from routes from Roman. Uh, I thought it was good to see that coordination with the quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point there. That if you're gonna if you're gonna throw that pass, you really have to have a little bit of distance from the goal line, because okay, started with a back shoulder throw. The basic concept is you have to have that defensive back overrun the play, so he has to go while your receiver stops and 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 turns to get the football. If you're at the one yard line, you'd have to you'd have to guess that he's gonna run out of the back of the end zone and <laughs> you know, try to cover that route. And that's a low probability, you know, of of, uh, of that level of stupidity from the defensive back. So you really gotta have the ball out at the nine, 10, 11 yard line to make that kind of a play work. Um and and him still to respect the receiver enough to not give away that space behind the play. And even so, I thought that that it it was kind of a little bit of a gambly throw that as soon as you know that you, you cross the goal line that defensive guy can really be thinking okay I got a turn even if it's not time yet I got a turn kind of thing and, and you might get a 99 yard pick six the other way but uh, but anyway well timed up throw trust throw Wallace didn't let him down in terms of his hands just a lot of real positive things happened on that play
3: yeah so and Huntley had a couple good scrambles in there as well um you know so Certainly, certainly a fit in terms of the offense in that regard, if he's got to be our backup quarterback. So overall, I thought it was a pretty
2: solid game from him. One of the, one of the problems we had, I remember talking about Huntley at the end of last year was that he, you know, he's, he's linear runner. Um, he he's looking to, to get an angle, maintain an angle. He's not looking to juke the next guy, the way Lamar Jackson runs in third gear, looking to just make the next guy miss. Um, he's, he's a different kind of runner than that. Definitely not as effective and uh it it was nice to see him get a couple a, a couple of big runs in this game and uh definitely got definitely got a couple of big first downs uh talk a little bit about johnson yeah you know
3: for a guy that has been around as long as he has just felt like he was a little out of control in this game you know when when things weren't exactly what they were supposed to be in front of him or his first read wasn't there it just felt it it, it just felt like he wasn't in command of the offense and there were a couple times where you saw a few shots during the broadcast where he was like i don't know if there were some communication issues going on early in the game but he seemed like he didn't understand what was going on so maybe there was a headset issue that can yeah. happen too um just did, did, just didn't never felt struck me as being in control of the game and if there's anything even if even if you're not hitting your throws even if you're not making the right reads some of those kind of things can happen if, you know, the Carter play against Cleveland like that. That was that nothing's going to happen on that kind of play, I, you know, and, and that's OK. Uh, I just I just never got the I never I didn't feel like he was in control of the game. And thought some of that might have been talent disparity. Like you've talked about the ones of the Eagles playing versus mm-hmm. the two slash threes of the Ravens playing at that point. Um, but I, I want to feel like I, I, it needs to feel a little bit more calm to me um otherwise it just feels frantic and that's that any kind any situation where that's what a raven's offense is going to look like uh if lamar is out is is not going to keep you in any game i don't think
2: yeah he he had a handful of ample time and space opportunities so he played the entire first half right huntley didn't come into the third quarter so he had seven ample time and space opportunities out of only 13 dropbacks. So I, you know, that's a, that's a good percentage to get by the way. Yeah. He, he had opportunity. It's not like they, they were going after him willy nilly, but they did have their best pass rushers in early in the game. And they had some well-publicized, you know, mistakes, obviously in terms of Jalen Carter getting by uh, Cleveland and the other guy getting back foul for a, for a quarterback hit. I'm trying to remember who that was. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Nolan Smith. It was 59, I think. Uh, but anyway, with Robinson, maybe, but, uh, but anyway, they 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 had a couple of uh, uh, of uh, opportunities. They had opportunities to get throws, and he only threw. Uh, he didn't throw any good balls down the field. His balls down the field really sailed on him. Uh, he had some incomplete passes, and he had some passes defensed, and that was a big problem in this game. Is I don't feel like the receivers were getting enough separation. Uh, Ryan would have maybe been the one exception to that uh, that they that they could you know even get a non contested catch situation frequently enough.
3: Yeah, and it just didn't, it, I mean, it didn't feel like it was schemed up to get anybody
1: open
3: <laughs> either. It, it felt like a lot of kind of spatially drawn plays to, that were either going to work or they weren't going to work. And if they didn't work, you weren't going to have any space um, or they were mesh plays. Um, and again, you know, if there were mesh plays if defended appropriately and you get a little bit of pressure are going to look really bad as an end result of
2: uh, what you get. Let me just ask one question about Anthony Brown before we move on, and that is, is is there a place for him on the practice squad at this point? Because last season at this time, we were really talking about Anthony Brown had a good preseason. he made a lot of good throws down the field or or a few good throws down the field at least. And that was something Huntley hadn't done, though Huntley had a very high completion percentage in the preseason, just an absurd completion percentage at one point. Um, and people were saying, you know, wait a minute, you've got a third year quarterback here. You've got a first year quarterback with Brown. Does it make more sense to try and reset for two extra years of sand in the hourglass? And, you know, I was a lot more trying to balance this deal. And now it doesn't seem like even as a second year player where both these guys have you know no obligation to the Ravens after this year. that um, even as a second year player, Brown is not that attractive an option.
3: Yeah. You know, if you like him because he knows the system and he's ready and you want that third quarterback around and there's enough depth on your practice squad, I think that's his, that's his inside shot. But otherwise, you know, if there's a guy that the Ravens have seen on another team that the scout team has picked up on during these other preseason games, I don't think the Ravens would hesitate for a second to go in a different direction.
2: Uh, Let's talk about if the unthinkable happens, what the Ravens do. And so again, I'll paint the like kind of the best possible scenarios. Lamar Jackson is going to be out for four games. Okay. So it's enough that you put them on IR and bring them back at the end of four games. Okay. Cause I think, I think that's the rule, right? Four games now. I think they kept the four. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm actually not a hundred percent sure, but let's, let's, in, in this, for reasons of this thought experiment, let's assume that they're going to, he's going to be back in four games and they can bring him back in four games. So you've got your, your, you've got Huntley as your, as your backup quarterback, let's say. Um, If you want to make sure you have a third quarterback, what's your real option to keep Johnson? Because if you put him on the on the practice squad, it seems like he's going to be practicing with an NFL team, and then an the NFL team is probably going to take him off your practice squad because of quarterback depth somewhere else breaking down first. And I, I just – I think, you know, the Ravens are not going to keep a third quarterback on their roster. I just don't believe they're going to, they're going to do that. But they can keep a third quarterback on speed dial, the way they did with Mark Bolger in in theory the one year, and they can keep a third quarterback on the practice squad – if it makes sense to do so. So maybe Anthony Brown is, is a reasonable choice for the practice squad and Johnson is not, or maybe they both are maybe, maybe, you know, you can keep one and you can just say, or you can keep uh, Johnson and just say goodbye to Brown at the end of the preseason. Does it, is there anything about it that would tell you though, that Brown would be harder to reacclimate to the system as the number two quarterback, if you had to call him again?
3: No, I don't think so. You know, you even saying that made me think. I was like, there's not a requirement (laughs) that the teams carry two quarterbacks on the roster, right? Nope. So, like, if you had two guys like Johnson and Brown that both, you would assume both could make it to the practice squad. And you wanted that roster spot for week one and Lamar Jackson was healthy. And you were going to call one of them up to your active roster from day one could the Ravens for their open their, their initial 53 man roster only roll with one quarterback on there.
2: Yeah. yeah do practice, and do practice or do practice squad elevation. Yeah.
3: Do a practice squad yeah. elevation or once IRs happen, move somebody up. I don't think I've ever heard of that happening for any team ever, mm-hmm. but why not? Especially with, especially with what we saw from these backup quarterbacks in this game.
2: Yeah. And and frankly, what we saw for the, from the backup quarterbacks, the last two seasons for the Ravens in terms of, of how it's played out. It hasn't obviously been good, but uh uh I, I hear you i just don't think that's a level of risk they'd be willing to take and some of it is you know going forward on fourth and four from your own 40 yard line it might be the right play mathematically but it's but it's not the it's the it's also the play the, the decision that gets you fired you know? all right uh let's move on who do we want to talk about next year
3: let's uh you want to talk about the running backs
2: sure running backs are fine
3: yeah so i i mean so Mitchell, I thought was the guy that popped on tape. I'll take him first. You know, you saw, we saw him on a couple of returns. You see the speed, you saw the vision. Um, I think even on one of the punts, he had muffed it or on the, one of the kickoffs, I don't wouldn't, I wouldn't say he muffed it, but it hit the ground in front of him. He had to mm-hmm. go and pick it up and he still picked up a pretty decent game. That vision um, I think is really valuable, a valuable thing for the Ravens. Um, I don't know. And, and then you had the touchdown run that came back on the holding penalty um, which didn't feel like it was a consequential hold on the replay that I saw to why it became a touchdown run. It was certainly a penalty. Um,
2: it, it did to me, but that's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, I I looked at it a couple of times. All I'll say is he was right there. If he if he hadn't held him, you gotta figure he's a yard and a half further, maybe, and and maybe he gets a hand on, and that's all it would have taken is a hand yeah. on Mitchell, and that's not a touchdown. So, But his, his separation speed on that run, so when you're watching the
3: yeah. run, once he's 15 yards down the field, he's still separating from the guy that's chasing him, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what you want to see. That's when you know you've got a true top-end speed from a running back, at least compared to the guys that are on the field with him there. When the guy carrying a football is out outpacing guys that are chasing after him, yep. uh, that's really what you want to see. Um, so, you know, the question is, does he have the chops in the other areas? You know, the Ravens, one – Eight fumbles to need pass protection from these guys. And that's valuable. Pass protection means a lot when you've got a guy like when, like we've talked about Lamar is Lamar's the Ravens and Lamar is the Ravens shot at a super bowl. So I'm not going to risk that with a running back that can't pass block. Um, you know, is he going to be able to do those X factor things? He does seem to have an inside shot in terms of special teams as the return guy. And if Prochet doesn't make the roster um, being available in that regard, how does he play as a gunner? I actually, didn't watch some of the special teams play. So I don't know if he got any of those reps, but if he could do some of that as well, um, those are the kind of things that are going to lock him into this roster spot. If I think maybe he hasn't done it already.
2: Right. I, I, I he certainly improved his chances with what he is, And he's a dangerous return man. He had eight special teams reps. So I think that was probably mostly kick returns, but he, was he out there for a punt return? I don't remember that. I don't think so. So, and I think Wright was out there in the second half, if I recall, for kickoff returns. So maybe his... he was on one of the kick coverage teams. He might have been on a kick coverage team. It is possible. He might have been on kickoff coverage also. Yeah, yeah if, uh, quite possibly. Okay. In, in any case, I think what he did was, was um, uh, impressive, certainly in terms of the run, the change of direction. The missed tackle was good. Here's the play that also got me. He, well, two, I'll give you. The one was he, he caused a missed tackle, on a um on the on the pass he caught which by the way would have loved to see what he could have done on the third and 30 play see if that all of a sudden reminded us of fourth and 29 again and you know hey we got an elusive guy that we we like on screen passes which kind of alluded to i guess in the first show but the other is that that um on the nine-yard scramble by Huntley, which was early in the third quarter, and I forget if they picked up a first down on the play or they came within a yard. They were, they were, just, a, they were just short, I think. Just short. Okay. On that play, um, he was out, Mitchell was at front of the play, and he made a block. And that's, that's really good to see, because we know the pass blocking is going to be very suspect. He's not going to be good as anything more than a chip blocker. And as a chip blocker, he's much more of an annoying gnat than a 235 pound, you know, Gus Edwards, who's going to take your ribs out, you know, at 170 pounds or whatever he plays at, he's not, he's just not the same kind of threat to a to a edge rusher. Yeah. So, All ho- right. I, hopefully, hopefully, we see him continue to
3: develop, get some reps. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see how the Ravens deploy him in these other two preseason
2: games as well. Um, I think that'll tell us a lot. Is is. Is is Monken bought into speed as the weapon enough? Do you think that he carries all of these guys? And when I say all these guys, the four speed threats he's got are Duvernay, who there actually might be still a chance they cut him. I don't think it's going to happen, but there's there's a four point three million dollar number on him that they might try and get back. He's the guy that's a corollary to to
3: Tyler Huntley. You want or to talk ben to... powers. <laughs> Go, or well no, going back to your question about who's the yes. guy that it could get cut for cap space but still has value on the team, that's mm-hmm. Devin Duvernay's the guy. And that's and his number is actually meaningful from a cap space perspective if he were to be cut or
2: traded. So, anyway, but but the but the four guys that, now that I'm talking about going back to the speed argument. Mitchell um, they're obviously keeping Flowers. They, they probably are keeping DuVernay. I, I, I don't see a way they let him go. And they've almost certainly are keeping Hill based on the investment they put into him. So the, 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 the you, you have four guys like that you have given Monkin a wide array of weapons. Forget the receivers for a moment. They mean Aguilar is an ordinary NFL wide receiver. I don't, I don't. I really don't think he's he's anything special. Bateman and Flowers are certifiably very good if they if they both can get on the field together, which hopefully Bateman will be healthy enough to do. Uh, and uh, by the way, hopefully Flowers will be enough to do. And we'll see what Beckham still has left in the tank. But the guys who could really make the offense special are all these speed guys. And if Monkin can really generate space the way he talks about generating space. And we have heard some ridiculous claims by made by offensive coordinators in this town that I've not lived up to, but if he's able to drive space, those guys become incredibly valuable weapons.
3: Well, and one of the things that I feel like, and I don't watch a ton of college football, but one of the things that I feel like Georgia, whenever I would watch them play do well was have that like outlet, like the trick plays, The thing about the Ravens trick plays under Greg Roman that I never liked was that it was they were obviously trick plays. But there was it wasn't kind of it wasn't kind of like the leak type plays. It wasn't some of this like little hidden stuff like a read. And if it comes open, we're going to take advantage of it. Right. When you watch Georgia play, that's what they would do. There would be these plays where they get up to the line quickly. And if it was there, they'd hit this peculiar thing that they would use. And they had a dominant skill set over a lot of these other college teams, but they would use it and they would use the expediency and the quickness of the line and the intention of like those things as, as how they were going to attack that. So you only need one or two. You don't need all of them on the field at the same time kind of thing. It doesn't have to be full bore deception. It just has to be quick on the same page, making the right reads using space, using alignment, using speed appropriately and making sure that Lamar is prepared to execute that. And then, and then Lamar being the extra, the X, X factor, right? Like you get two, you get Lamar is the X factor on every play hands down. So you only need one gadget guy in one peculiar way to really, to really do some damage.
2: And and if you show them three or four for, who, who who will run gadget from different positions, maybe you line up Duvernay in the backfield occasionally, or you have Mitchell go in some sort of motion, which he, which he does it. Or you, you know, we saw the orbit motion. Of course, you talked about it earlier from, from, uh, uh, uh zay but it doesn't have to be zay it could it could be any one of the other three as well um you know i, I just i think there's a lot more creativity to be tapped into there for these speed guys that we that the roman system some in some ways constrained and so hopefully that that will be a uh something the one thing i'm not sure is going to work out and you know we saw the unwinding of the of the wristbands this week is that is that lamar is going to be able to pick up Monken's offense for exactly what Monkin's offense is supposed to be. In a sense, it's always going to be Lamar's offense as long as he's here. It's going to be an off schedule. I'm going to make plays. I'm going to do things. And no matter how much he talks about wanting to make plays in the pocket, I think Lamar Jackson wants to win football games, however, and do it his own way most of the time. More than that, even.
3: So I don't see these things, and we talked about this a little a little bit on the earlier podcast, and 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 we talked about it when we were talking about the back shoulder throws. Mm-hmm. I don't see these things as I see them as mutually ex- exclusive. So you can still have your play call and your design and what you want to see in the first two and a half seconds, not have like not have it not be there, have it break down and get Lamar at two point five plus. And then let him play backyard football from there on. As long as he's playing within the system for the first two and a half seconds of every snap, you could still get okay. the same Lamar after that, and a completely different Lamar before that.
2: Okay, so I I I, I don't a hundred percent disagree with it, but I do disagree with it some. I think that Lamar, it's not a it's not a black to white binary decision that Lamar makes in terms of running the football at a particular point in time. It's not one raid two one-raid. Should I go and then go? I think it's more like uh, he's trying to read more of the field than you're thinking. You know, looking through the easy eye puzzle is what I always talk about going with the the wide angle lens and trying to pick up who he thinks is open. Um, By not making direct reads like that, there are some advantages to that. But uh, also, one of the things it gives him is it gives him the good field vision to take off when it's a good idea to take off and start making people start building a quick plan on how to make people miss.
3: Well, and the thing that, I mean, that, and we talked, I, I alluded to this earlier when I talked about uh, kind of route development under Greg Roman, and when, when I was referring to kind of how the Ravens approached this preseason game versus what the Eagles did, the Eagles very clearly had an approach where we're going to try and run this one specific thing that's going to get the first guy open. If the read is there, we're going to hit it, right? And, like, yeah. that's, that's the way they run those plays. It worked for Jalen Hurts really well. Lamar Jackson can certainly work out of a system like that where sure. in the first – quarter but second and and a quarter you're it's a split section section split second decision and if it's there you take it because it's six yards right and if it's not there then you do whatever it is that was kind of slower developing behind that and let lamar be lamar behind that but if if the, the thing that you do first is is the thing that teams weren't taking away from the ravens and the, Ra- the ravens just never attacked that early play design intentionality yeah. under roman if that's the thing that they do, the sky is the limit for this offense.
2: Okay. I, and I, if you're talking about Lamar always has to make his first read, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. But if Lamar, Lamar is executing a two-minute offense, say, or Lamar is executing, even if he's not executing a two-minute offense, if he's executing a key drive where they need to win the game, I just have a feeling if Lamar's not willing to try and learn the offense and communicate it without the wristband, that there's a likelihood that he doesn't completely buy into his decisions are going to be the ones that matter on the field anyway. So okay, if 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 let's see, I'm you you're trying to teach me math, let's say. And I, I don't I mean me at age six, <laughs> not 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 me now, but me at age six. And and a lot of teachers, by the way, out there in the Baltimore area can remember how difficult it was to teach me math back in those back in those years. <laughs> so anyway, if you're trying to teach me math at age six. And you're trying to get me interested and buy into it, you are gonna have to do more uh, to make it be about me than, uh, than I than I think that will will definitely occur with Monken. And and the first thing, the first sign of friction I see between these two is about these wristbands. And basically Monken is saying the Roman way was bad, which by extension means the Lamar way was bad because Roman probably tried to simplify this offense for you, try to let you reinterpret it in the huddle or just parrot out the words that were on your wristband without completely understanding them and do then whatever the fuck you wanted. Once the play began. So it's, it's just, I, I, I think I see, I sense a friction there. I, I've sensed it at the podium in terms of how each of them has discussed the wristband situation. And I just wonder if this is obviously a marriage made in heaven that everybody wants it to be, I'm a Baltimore fans, or if natural friction to a greater degree is going to build up from who these people really are.
3: It's a fascinating question. I, I don't I I don't subscribe to try and read into the battle over the wristbands, what it meant, what it didn't mean, what they're saying at the podium. For all we know. John Harbaugh and Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson are running an end around on all of us. And it's all a bunch of BS and they're doing it to be distracting and they want to take your focus away from something else that they're, they're doing all together. And I would not, I would never put that past John Harbaugh because he loves to play games like that.
2: Um, his it, his misinformation is almost like a poker player's misinformation. You know, the, the standard thing that if the guy looks right at, at you, he's weak. If he looks away, he's strong. You know, it's, like, it's like if you do that every time, and that's what I get in terms of the injury thing. It's yeah. just, okay, I'm going to immediately apply my scaler to however long <laughs> you said he was out. And, and I, I give you a hint, that scaler is longer than one. You know, it's <laughs> higher than one in terms of how long it's going to be. I, just, <laughs> I really have a hard time with, uh, uh, with that particular.
3: Anyway, uh, we'll, uh, see, we'll see with the offense on the field. And, sure. and we'll see what happens. They're obviously holding back now in the preseason. There's nothing that they're going to show. And you and I, I, think, talked about this in a preseason show b- before these preseason games that we did. The Ravens have no intention of showing or giving away anything right. before they get to week one. And so right. in that sense, it's fun to talk about. But it, uh, what we have to say about it until we see them put, put some performance on the field is, is relatively going to be meaningless.
2: Yeah, it's it, it, even in week one. You see the 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 defense and offense both at that time, which they expect to work against that week one opponent. And you know, it's it's uh, it should be an evolving, adapting thing. And even you know, I know you don't like Roman, but Roman certifiably tried to evolve his run concepts, at least some, and was effective at it in two thousand nineteen. Still effective at it in two thousand twenty. Um, to 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 try and make it so that nobody had the full book on him. Uh, Obviously, you know, I I would agree with you that there there was some lack of freshness in the last couple of years and obviously injuries to Lamar that made that more difficult to, to uh, be sustainable. Yeah. All right. How about justice Hill? Where do you put him within this offense at this point with JK back this week with Gus, presumably on the field for a significant number of snaps, where do you put him?
3: I mean, that's a, that's a great question because so I've never been a big Justice Hill guy. And I know there are a lot of Ravens analysts that really think that he should have gotten more opportunities that he has. I always thought through kind of the first couple seasons that he played, he had that like one good run late in the game against Cleveland, and everybody was like, Justice Hill's amazing. But I, I thought that, you know, outside of a few preseason games, we I didn't see much from him. That being said, he's a downhill, straight, one cut, to the point kind of runner. He's got speed. He's a good special teams player. I mean, I think he's, you had mentioned his contract is as, as one that got guaranteed. So he's almost a lock at, at the, mm-hmm. that kind of that lower close to veteran minimum level. He's a lock to make the roster. Um, but I think the Ravens view him as a guy that's only going to play if they really, really have to play him for injury reasons.
2: Yeah. Hill was actually signed for two years and four and a half million. So it's not okay. a cheap contract. Um, and, and the Ravens, I mean, they're committed to, to, to keeping him around. I, um, The interesting thing to me is, is is he your third down back when your other possibilities are Edwards, Mitchell, and Dobbins? I think it's got to be Dobbins. I mean, Dobbins is not much of a pass blocker. What I want out of my third down back is exactly this. We've talked about this a couple times on the show before, but I want somebody who's on the efficient frontier of pass blocking ability and yards per target, and actually maybe even yards per route run I want to see from my third down. Uh, back, so I want to know, you know, how often are they getting the football? How much are they contributing in terms of of the yards per time they're on the field on third down? Versus, you know, what are they really giving you as a pass blocker? A lot of pass blocking for these players is chip blocking. It's not necessarily a you know a set blocking. It's actually much less common.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: Common than people think. Kind of a typical number you might sacrifice between .5 and .65 of your eligible receivers per play so that's between 10 and 13 percent of eligible receivers are used as a, a set or chip blockers um and and so it's just not that much of it so it really comes down to do do you do you want this guy to be a good receiver do you think you can fit him in inside your game as a good receiver is is hill a reasonable guy in that respect
3: i don't think hills give i think jk dobbins and again i mean with the injury the last couple of years, but in his rookie year, I felt like he was as that chip blocker, pretty solid. Like he, you know, he wasn't great. He wasn't a, a great pass blocker, but he gave you enough there. And then the speed and the dynamics that he adds there are enough. You know, the real question is, is Edwards soaking up enough? You know, the, they want to limit his touches for justifiable reasons. They want to keep everybody healthy, you know? So if you need those touches to go around, then I think you're right. Hills time what seems to be the appropriate time or third and longs <laughs> that right. should be, those should be the place where justice Hill is pulling a couple extra snaps out of the total for Dobbins or Edwards or um, you know, whatever direction that you're going in there.
2: All right. I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, if Dobbins improves as a receiver, fantastic, but Dobbins in his career has had 5.1 yards per target. That's not acceptable. Even for a running back, I, I just got to do better than that. So he he did catch 18 out of 24 balls as a rookie, which is not terrible. It's not great for a running back either. Um, but he only had five yards per target that year. So, I I got to do better than that. I, I you know if either Dobbins has got to get it better himself, which is certainly a possibility, and and it, or or plays need to be schemed better for him, which is certainly a possibility. Or maybe you just get a more dangerous player in space like Hill. And you try and bring the screen game back in some kind of a meaningful way. Now it's not like Hill is like lit up the yards per target numbers either. I just think stylistically he, he might make more sense in terms of of who he is as a speed guy.
3: Yeah, I think it's system more than player at the moment. Okay. But but um, but you know I would say that. So <laughs> but but the real question is where does all this leave Melvin Gordon? I mean, we saw J.K. come back today. I thought he looked. I thought he looked. Dobbins looked real crisp in practice, in the couple of clips that we saw of him today. It's clear that his pup status was as, as much as or exclusively, yeah, exclusively <laughs> about money and yeah. not about his not about his knee at all. Um, you know, d- does Gordon have a spot on this roster?
2: No. Yeah. No, I, I would I would say that's pretty clear to me. Uh, I I think you know the the guy who is the potentially very valuable property who you've got to be very careful with is Keaton Mitchell. Yep. And he's the guy on the on the margin of the roster. You're going to have a very tough time deciding if you want to expose him to waivers. And I think you probably end up losing him at some point if you do.
3: And then who's the guy that they brought in for like that last carry of the game?
2: Oh, right? And, oh, and, right.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know he was a Raven.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're talking about the running backs. Let's move on a little bit. Talk about the tight ends. It's a small group. Uh, Andrews obviously didn't play. A little bit of likely early on. I, I didn't like the fact that likely was laid out on both of his throws and at both of the throws i mean johnson set him up for a huge hit that's uh, an important player i mean you know if that hit if he twists down wrong if you know so many things can go wrong on those plays i'm thinking get him out of there it's it's uh it, yeah not a good situation
3: yeah no I, it it was it was it was not pretty. <laughs> those throws weren't pretty. I agree with you. Likely, I think, has to be, you know, you talked about a little bit about it earlier that the Ravens were not committed at all to a fullback in this game, which means that I think we're going to see a lot of 11, a lot of 12 personnel. We're going to see double tight end sets on the field. So Likely and Kolar are going to be part of it. And, you know, Likely's hands looked improved a bit, you know, um, caught those the, the, the first one in traffic, and like you said, reaching back and just, not safe, but still coming down with the ball. Um, those are the kind of things that you want to see from him. If he didn't play again for the rest of this preseason, other than a couple drives, I wouldn't be too upset either.
2: Yeah. It, 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 that might actually be the way that worked out. Kolar getting a lot more playing time. Now Kolar's got a lot less live fire under his belt. Likely has done enough in the preseason. It's almost like you know, spending as long as he does at AAA, there's nothing left to prove. Kind of like Colton Cowser, who just went down again today for some inexplicable reason. Uh, is 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 having to go back to AAA. But anyway, I won't, won't get into that too deeply. It's it's uh uh Kolar is not quite there yet in terms of the no. number of live fire reps he's had. Uh, didn't look fantastic in this game. I didn't think. But you, you go ahead and start us off.
3: Yeah, I just thought he looked a step slow. He looked tentative and hesitant. The fumble was more almost looked out of like that. He was kind of overwhelmed by the moment. So I think he just like you said, a few more of these live reps, a bit more. You know, I know the Ravens don't like to try and be intentional in terms of what they're trying to do from a game plan, but you do wonder if he's a guy that you want to rely on a bit at some point, do we, do we kind of force a little bit of the system his way just to, just to get a few more of those kinks out of the system?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's probably the kind of player you can do it with, and he's probably the kind of player that you, your second and third and fourth string quarterback would love to throw to. Yeah. You know, he's big and he's, he's, uh, you know, like Vokalek, he's a, he's a, a guy who can catch the football certainly. So uh, be interesting. Um, I, 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 somebody's got to play tight end at the end of these preseason games. So, so Kolar <laughs> really going to have to see some significant action. I think and not just, not just vocal. It is possible they go out and get another tight end just basically to take some snaps during the preseason. They, uh, they talked about that a little bit. I think Harbaugh talked about getting a, a backup kicker to take some of the workload off Tucker. And I, I'm thinking, if you've got two roster spots, I think the Ravens might have two right now. Okay, you know, keep one open if you want to, or at least know who you're going to cut. But go and get a tight end right now, and and stick him in for a couple of preseason games, and 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 eat up some of these snaps. I think that'd be a, a, a very smart move.
3: Is the wear and tear on Justin Tucker that bad, that bad?
2: <laughs> I, I asked him. I asked Randy Brown was at the podium the other day, and I asked him how many kicks is normal for a kicker per day. And and he he kind of scoffed. At, he kind of said it's a very good question, but the answer I would have and the answer Justin would have are different. <laughs> and I, I didn't I didn't hear if he wanted more kicks or he wanted less kicks. But he says Justin knows when he's done for the day, and he'll take anywhere between thirty and sixty kicks per day, four days a week. And you know that sounded to me like it, 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 at least it sounds like there's a plan. He might not agree. He might think it should be twenty two, but or, or or twenty, or maybe he thinks he, Justin should be able to kick it eighty times. But I think more likely the coach is saying you need less total, total kicks. Don't take these extra kicks because the, you're, you're running injury risk or you're running, you know, fatigue risk or whatever it might be all the time.
3: Yeah. And then in those instances, just, you know, pooch it or have someone else, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> that, they, that, that just seems like a peculiar thing to be spending time to think about.
2: <laughs> yeah. They, they, when they when they have kickoff drills. Tucker runs up to the football and then they shoot it out of a jugs gun. So they already do a bunch of that stuff to, you know, preserve his leg. And, and you know, they brought in, I think they brought in Jordan Stout in this game for one of the kickoffs. Yeah. So I think that, they poached it. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. Squibbed it or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. So they, so they anyway, they have uh, they, they are using other, other techniques, any of the other tight ends we need to hit on. I think we've, we've, we've pretty much got all three here. Let's move on and talk about the offensive line. We got to get to that and then we'll do the wide receivers last Um, I do have some notes on the offensive line. I'll be, I'll try to be as quick as possible. Uh, but who do we want to talk about first? Well, I mean, I think
3: that the big question for you, you know, is, is left guard, right? That that's the spot that the Ravens obviously left to focus on. I think the two guys that, you know, we're looking at that got the most reps there were Salah and Simpson. Um, you know, what'd you see?
2: So, Sala did not really have a particularly good game, and I'll tell you briefly what he did. Didn't have any negative events in the game other than the face mask, which is like kind of like saying the girl looks great except she doesn't have a head you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's just a it's it's a pretty bad mistake for a limited number of snaps. it's kind of ironic that the guy he's he's fighting against for his roster spot and for his starting job, not for his roster spot for his starting job, is a guy whose calling card is a horrible penalty rate in his career so far and he's the one who commits the penalty and Simpson is clean (laughs) so we'll talk a little bit about that later with Simpson too but um on on that play where he gave up the the or he he had the face mask ajama was beating him pretty badly on that play it was going to be at least a pressure it might have been worse it might have been quarterback yet might have been a sack uh but it was going to be at least a pressure um, it obviously it stalled the drive in this case. He had seven missed blocks as well. Five of those were losses at the line of scrimmage, which are the worst kind. He also missed on a pole. He had another one is a weird one. He wandered at a level two on a pass play and started blocking a linebacker two and a half yards into the, into the defensive backfield. That should not happen. And I can't credit a positive block score on that play. So it gets, you got a missed block for that. It could, it could have been a penalty, obviously. uh, Uh, he did not have a block in level two, so we didn't really get out to see a lot of mobility in this game. He delivered one pancake connected on two of three poles, didn't have a highlight in the game, uh, with seven missed blocks, even if he had not had the face mask penalty, and let's, let's state it differently. If that face mask penalty had been instead of pressure, he would have been in the middle of the D range for the game. But with it being a face mask, takes him way down into the F range. So uh, a bad a bad game for Salah. Not not what he would have wanted in his first NFL game, and he certainly lost significant ground to Simpson in this game in terms of uh, of where he is. Yeah, I think you know when I think about how what is most
3: damaging to him for the Ravens evaluation. Uh, internally, you gotta think that the misplay of the block blocking the linebacker at the second level on a pass Mm -hmm. play and missing, not, not connecting that mentally is going to be way worse than kind of a face mask or a hold when you have been beaten to kind of cover your butt. Like, obviously you don't want to be doing those kind of things, but if he's not, if he's not there on the system, even if he hadn't missed those other blocks, it's gonna, it's gonna lead too many questions for an offense to be able to maybe want to lead into a guy.
2: Right. M- Miss blocks kind of are hallmarks of inexperienced offensive linemen, particularly the losses at the line of scrimmage. Sometimes they just get, they, they get put off balance by the linemen across them. Sometimes they're not physical enough. Sometimes they, they, don't, they don't make first contact. That was Falele's problem last year. It, by the way, that's one thing that really looks better. We'll get to him in a minute or two. But, but he looked a lot better in this game in terms of that specific uh, component. Well, what did you see from Simpson? I mean, was it uh, night and day in terms of quality? yeah Simpson was much better um he uh, uh he first of all, they moved him into this the, the the first uh squad in terms of the practice this week um maybe it was last week i guess last week this week i think it was this week actually um didn't have a single negative event uh on the game, so he, he missed three blocks for the game two of those were at the line of scrimmage uh he had two blocks in level two, delivered a pancake, scored on two or three poles. he had two highlights, and here was the 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 nice highlight that I liked was how he was able to recover from a block that I wouldn't say he missed the block, but he wasn't in control of the block of Jordan Davis on the 37-yard run by Hill. But then the play got reversed. He reset his feet, and he was in a good block, a, a place then to continue the block on Davis, which really helped. So it was nice to, nice to see that uh, uh, that go well. And, uh, and that uh, ended up being, a, a, you know, obviously a big play for the Ravens. Uh, but three missed, 30 points, 0. .91 per play is an A. Uh, he would be do some adjustment for that, and I would give him some in a game like this, playing against some of the game against Jordan Davis. So uh, I thought it was exceptionally good. Uh, you know, he, he, the penalties, I mentioned this, he had 17 and 1,545 snaps coming into this year. Um, it looks like that has been a point of emphasis with Simpson – in the Ravens coaches is that they're getting him to uh, drop off potential holding calls, which are 13 of those 17 penalties, by the way. He's only had two false starts, two personal fouls and 13 holds. So holding onto a guy outside the frame on a run play is exactly how that happens. And I think the Ravens coaches have worked on him because there were two specific instances where he released a guy when he got outside the frame and it was noticeable. And, you know, all the linemen do that as some during a game, but but Simpson obviously has had trouble doing it a high percentage of the time on run plays in his career so far. So to see that happen, play a clean game, while his primary adversary obviously did not play a clean game in terms of, of uh, uh, flags is a, is a very big plus for him. So big step forward for him in terms of the race. I kind of think that the, the Ravens, by the way they had it ordered, who was going to be with the number one group, wanted to give Salah a chance because of the big difference in money that it could make, um, particularly for the next three years. But they also really wanted to um, get the job to Simpson eventually. So they gave him the second chance at it, which is kind of really like the first chance because it lines up with the exhibitions. Are they preseason starts?
3: Well, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like there was some more clear direction. I mean, from the rest of the offensive line, we mostly saw backups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and well, you know, obviously all that your core four, other offensive linemen guys, not there, you know, out of all these other backup guys, is there anybody that stood out to you?
2: Well, Falalele also scored, and we did, we don't score everybody during the preseason, but we score some players we really want to know. And the other, only other guy that I didn't score was Cleveland. Um, but I'll, th- I'll talk about Falalele first, because he had a mixed night, split between left and right tackle. So he did, he did some of both, and, and it was interesting the way they used him, because they are trying to play him around sharp and whatnot, but they, but they still had him play every single snap the entire game. Uh, he got beat on a very fast dip move by Nolan Smith, and that was uh Q2047. So right at the end of the first half on that drive where they got the Tucker field goal. Um, and, and that was a, a quarterback hit. Uh, he also was party to three different pressure events, and it was two fulls and a half. Uh, so it's not not an insignificant number. I heard somewhere some original sighting of say said had zero pressure events, but PFF, I think, has him for two. They'll probably continue to change that because they continually update when they review. Um, but it, to, to me, I had him for four. And uh, and he had some proximity pressure in terms of being in the quarterback's cone where you can definitely see the quarterback is not taking a full step into the throw. That, to me, is a big bugaboo. And it's something that Falele specifically needs to watch. I think he's got better at it because the the hallmark of, of, of tackles in particular that get into the throwing cone to, the, to one side of the quarterback is that they give up too much ground mirroring without contact. So aggressive tackles, even though they sometimes will make mistakes, as long as they get their arms on that opposing player, tend to be able to mirror more easily. Ronnie Stanley's very good at that, obviously, but you know not everybody's going to be Ronnie Stanley. And other big physical guys have also made it work. Bryant McKinney, is a guy who who could do some of that things. Rick Wagner, even though his arms weren't the longest, he he could he could do some things in terms of getting physical with a guy and and still block him twelve to six. Orlando Brown, um, some of these same similar things. Get physical further out. Don't play patty cake. Don't try and mirror perfectly and have your hands just right for first contact when you know by dropping back too far, you're you're already invading the quarterback space by doing that. So so anyway, with Falea, he's much better at that this year. He's he's making much shallower sets uh you know more like a like a think of it as a flared jawline somebody who has a you know wide angular uh, jawline that kind of a pocket as opposed to a very tight compressed pocket and i i've been much more happy with that this year in terms of uh, of what he's been doing he's he's making more contact also more first contact with his opponent. so so another big positive for fall lately is overall scoring not that great it was a c in this game uh, even after adjustments. So he did, you know, he had, he gave up some pressures. He gave up the one quarterback hit to, to a, a legitimately fine NFL pass rusher. But uh, you know, I'd say in general, uh, very happy with the development from year one to year two. And I think from what I saw in this game, I think he could, he could be on the field and, and potentially serviceable at right tackle this year.
3: I mean, that's a, that'd be, that'd be a really nice development for this Ravens team. I think the thing that, I'm most encouraged about kind of your ratings and what I'm hearing from you about these players are specific coached specific outcomes that yeah. are different and evolution for players. And and I think, you know, I'll be really interested to see what you have to say about Salah over the next two games as well, because I have not felt like, and I and Linderbaum is a good example of this. I don't think that we saw kind of like a clear, linear growth improvement from Linderbaum over last year. I think we got what we got from him over the course of the whole year. It'll be really interesting to see how the Ravens have improved some of his strength, how they use him as a pass blocker, whether or not he does get left on an island and how Monk uses him. But at least what I'm hearing about how you're commenting on a few of these other players that you did score, um, that strikes me as that strikes me as the right development trend for what you'd want to hear from Ravens offensive linemen, which has been a while since I feel like we've heard about those kind of progressions for
2: Ravens players on the offensive line. I mean, powers, we've, there's been good players that have, that have made made progress over the years, Jensen, you know, those kind of guys, but, but you're right. It doesn't happen every time. And, you know, there aren't that many jobs open that you always have a guy developing, but you know, the, the Ravens have been as good as any team in terms of, of developing their guys on the, on the offensive line. Um, I don't have a lot to say about others. I'll just say Ben Cleveland. I think did have a pretty good game. Um, I've only got him for one and a half pressures. Uh, sorry, half a pressure and a quarterback hit in this game. But he played 51 snaps, and a lot of those were a tackle. So there's some forgiveness in there, um, where he probably would have had a B or a C plus game at probably about the worst in terms of how he played. Uh, so I think that that you know. People want to get on the one rep. They want to talk about the quarterback hit, and it was bad, but it was to Jalen Carter, and and uh, I don't think you can, you know, pin his whole professional future on that. And in fact, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with how he played in this game
3: yeah you know my (laughs) having watched the game a couple times on the offensive side i think the hardest part is evaluating some of these offensive line guys because there is no you know i talked about a lack of kind of like intentionality around what's going on with the scheme and matchups and and I think the Ravens do a very good job of trying to target how they're sliding the line, where they're putting guys left and right side. I mean, I think you you mentioned it a bit earlier about Roman trying to be really tailored and specific to the team that he was attacking. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do with offensive line scheme and putting those guys in a position to succeed. You know, it's just hard that you're, you're not going to get some of those same examples during a preseason game from the offensive line. And so guys are going to be left on islands from time to time um, and in ways that they never would be. In some of these games, they're going to be pulling or they're going to be running certain certain plays that are going to be out of their, their comfort zone. So uh, it's good to see a game where we don't see anybody go down with an injury. So,
2: yeah, uh, that's that's definitely a very big deal. And, you know, obviously, with the various inju- serious injury happening to Bradley on the other side of the field and, and you know, all the Bradleys, a I believe is a fourth year player and literally every person on that Eagles team is is going out there and tapping on the helmet, and you know what that means. I mean, that guy probably will never see an NFL field again. It's very sad. It's part of the game. But, you know, the, you, you have to feel for that guy professionally in terms of of, uh, of what happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So any other any guys who want to talk about? I think we talked about some of this in terms of the deployment order, which is in that first episode. If you haven't downloaded that, go back and get it. Uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff in there, uh, the conversation with Jordan that was primarily focused, I'd say, on deployment order and and scheme stuff. So uh, this is individual players here. Um, anybody else even worth talking about on the offensive line? Let am just go up here and see if there's anyone who really deserves it. The only guy maybe is Manning. I thought we didn't see Ricard, but I think we've, we've talked about that earlier um, in, in, the, in the case of Manning. Um, Got 28 snaps in this game, might be a guy who's going to get a look on the practice squad. I think if I had to look at the, the the third string guys, he's probably the furthest ahead. Uh, Sharp, I think, definitely on the practice squad, but I think Manning also might be there. Yeah. All right, let's move on talk about the wide receivers. Uh, and this is the last group here. And thank you for hanging on with us for these couple of hours here. And do this, yeah, it means you, Jordan, but also the listeners out there appreciate you doing it. And uh, who would you like to talk about
3: first? Well, I think I think we can lump Tylen Wallace and Devin Duvernay in together. Both of them catching those uh, back cor- back shoulder touchdowns. We didn't see a whole lot from the rest of them, but I mean, I think I think the, the clear takeaway is them being pretty close to locking up their spots. Obviously, one or the other of them could be on the bubble, but you know, for the Ravens wide receiver depth, I think. There, it's going to be those guys um and i guess in the same breath we could uh, i'll flip it back to you to say that it appears that though this is
2: the the end of the james the the heralded james prochet era yeah tough game for prochet um he two two his first two targets were both pd31 pass defense by 31 uh, uh, his his last target was that wide receiver screen and to his credit he got tackled right away for a loss of 1 on the play so he had three targets for minus 1 on the game Laquan Treadwell was on the side with him. It's a wide receiver screen. He has got to pick up the tackler there. And he's, he's, he's got to be able to pick up that block, and he didn't get it done. Prochet didn't turn to Treadwell and emote on the field and say, you got to make that block or anything like that. He just walked straight back to the huddle. That's the way to do it. And, frankly, it's pretty much the way he had to do it after – I think it was after he had, he had fumbled the ball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the punt return. So, yeah, it's not the time you want to be giving anybody else in, on your team you know, some lip about letting you down. So, you, you, uh, but it was, it's a, a very tough game for James and, and, uh, probably, um, he'll be cut at the end of camp.
3: But you, you know, your top, in the same way that your top four offensive linemen didn't play, your top three wide receivers here didn't play. Mm-hmm. Say Flowers, you know, we talked about him a little bit earlier. So I don't know if we need to go back to that, but everything. Everything that you've heard about him is everything that we saw about him. And I think he he's not going to be rookie of the year because of the way this offense is going to be built. That's not going to happen. But I think he is going to – there's a chance that he could have a really big impact on this offense this year.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I agree. And and he's the, – the two penalties remind me of Torrey Smith in his rookie year. And Torrey Smith – And I'm actually forgetting whether it's 2011 or 2012, but he had the three longest pass interference plays in the entire league in one of those two years. And they were 50, 50 and 60 yards with the three distances. How do you get a 60 yard pass interference play, by the way? (laughs) It's hardly ever been a ball caught 60 yards from the line of scrimmage in Ravens history a couple balls you know the, the i mean one when the, they
3: i think there were only like eight balls thrown over 50 yards in the air last year like it doesn't just doesn't oh, really? happen yeah, yeah. I, I, I think i in the arm strength article espn put out like there were like eight three of them were herbert like there's it just not it just doesn't happen it barely doesn't happen you know
2: yeah lamar <laughs> lamar jackson had one in in the game at jacksonville right the yeah. touchdown yeah yeah uh anyway the uh um what I want to say here, I've lost, lost my point here, but oh, yeah, drawing penalty. Penalties. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big part of being an explosive sudden athlete that you draw grabation penalties and, uh, you know, he is well on his way to getting that done. And hopefully, you know, some of those turn into the sort of free plays after the grab that ended up bringing a really big deal, not just holding penalties, you know, not just necessarily he gets interfered with, sometimes he makes interfere, he gets interfered with and He makes a catch anyway. That's deeper. Uh, you, you, you kind of hope for that sort of a thing. It's, it's probably unrealistic, but uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice to see him draw a couple flags. And in some ways, it's telling you more about what he's doing at the top of the stem and that he's actually doing something sudden at some point in the route that a, that a cornerback is feeling the need to uh, make a mistake like that.
3: Well, I thought he could have had two touchdowns in this game. So the second penalty that he drew, he just lost the ball. But mm-hmm. it was still ahead of him, and he kind of turned the route off and cut it and ran out to the si- and out to, towards the side of the end zone. If he would have been running back towards the corner, it would have just dropped right into his breadbasket, and he could have potentially caught it. I thought on the roll right play, he kind of juked out his defender to the right and was cutting back to the left. Johnson had already kind of given up mm-hmm. on the play, but I think that that's a throw that Lamar is going to take the chance and not step out of bounds and chuck it up and, and make that throw to him, and I think he would have been wide open on that one too
2: that would that would have been an interesting choice if it's mark andrews it's probably not as much of a risk as if it's zay flowers because with mark andrews you have a defender in theory who can who can really help you with zay flowers i'm a little bit more concerned if he if he puts a lobs a volleyball serve up into the into the opposite corner of the end zone and somebody else might get there also and uh anyway uh, really excited to see flowers on the field. Just, uh, you know, can't, uh, can't say He obvious. The guy had, you know, zero targets officially. He had one run for one yard officially, <laughs> but you know, boy, he did, he look good. Uh, how about Laquan Treadwell? Uh, big catch at the end of first half broke a tackle to, to set up, uh, the field goal for, for Tucker. Uh, then he misses that screen block. Where does he fit? Does he fit in the Ravens plans at all? I mean, if the, if, they want to put him on the practice squad
3: and he doesn't, you know, and he's just looking to, you know, since they have these veteran roles that you can be on the practice squad now and he's looking to be around, I think that's his best shot, but without injuries, like I said, while I mean, Wallace and Duvernay are already ahead of him and there's no guarantee that both of them are, are locks anyway. And I didn't see nearly enough from Treadwell in this game that to make it
2: worth keeping him around. All right. There's been a lot of talk about him in practice because he's had some good, good camp practices, but, uh, You know, there's something it's a little bit easier to catch the ball in seven on seven drills than it is to (laughs) to do in a real game. When when the defenders are actually told, don't make hard contact with the receiver here. Uh, The only other guy I think is really worth talking about is Sean Ryan. But, you know, he actually is targeted seven times. Does this give him the camp darling status that the Ravens Twitter community so fervently needs? It's interesting because there
3: are a couple other guys that seem like, like Demas and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Tariq. um, Uh, Tariq Black Tariq Black, who have the inside track of kind of project guys that the Ravens would want to keep on the practice squad. But Ryan stood out very clearly in this game at wide receiver. Um, And I think he gave himself a legitimate shot at making the practice squad um, for a guy that, I honestly had not heard his name before. And I, I'll admit to not following the preseason as closely as I should be. Um, but I had not heard his name before. And then he had seven targets and a couple of pretty decent catches. Um, and so he should get that. You know, that's, that's the whole point of this. And I kind of started this whole podcast off talking about that. He, he earned it. That's
2: mm-hmm. it's one of the things that Monkin talked about was he can't just scheme up targets for Lamar to throw the ball. Those receivers have to earn it. And this is a good, it's, it was a good game for Ryan. and And I think if nothing else, He's earned probably the trust of the second and third quarterbacks. And during the season, if he's on the practice squad, still practicing them, he's going to get reps just because of that. You know, he'll, he'll catch the ball occasionally. And so that's a nice uh, uh, opportunity for him to, uh, uh, to see the field that way and to keep in the coaches' uh, minds that way. thought good, good ability after the catch from Ryan. Most of the other guys, a lot of trouble separating, I really thought. And, and that ended up being a lot of PDs thrown. I see you nodding. Yeah. Oh, I, just, I,
3: I just yeah. I agree that, that no separation, no <laughs> routes designed
2: to get separation. Just <laughs> really, uh, He's blaming on a route design again.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, let's talk MVPs for this game. Uh, I have three guys selected. Do you have a, a three to one list? Yeah, I've got a three to one list. Start with your number three guy. So
3: my number three guy is Sean Ryan. I thought he played well enough, stood out enough as a receiver that he deserved he deserved to be recognized.
2: Fair enough. I, I went with Justice Hill, three carries for forty-eight. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of am hoping Hill is projected into a bigger role here, and that, that they find a way to use everybody's speed a little bit, and you know, he, he becomes like a Dexter McCluster type weapon for the Ravens, and, and that's exciting. So, uh, anyway, in this game, I thought uh, he clearly deserved it in terms of his own running.
3: Yeah, Justice two? Hill.
2: Yep, Hill was my number two guy. Uh, Hill is your number two guy. So, my number two guy is John Simpson. Uh, terrific game, very, you know, scored very well, seemed to have taken some coaching on the holding penalties. We are working with a very small sample size here, folks. I realize that. And, and, you know, if half a game he can, he can, he can be, which is basically what he played. He can be penalty free. That's great. But, you know, his, his penalty rate was about one per 100. It's actually a little over one per 100, which was unacceptable. And he went over 33 here, which is good. But it's not enough to say, you know, that to, to any kind of signature significance level that that, uh, that he's uh, gotten over his penalty problem.
3: Yep. And so who was your number? I think we have the same number one guy. As I'm guess. guessing so, yeah. too. Go <laughs> ahead. I thought it was Tyler Huntley. I thought he locked up his spot as the backup quarterback. I think I think it's without question uh, that that the performance that we saw on the poise and the composure uh, probably won
2: them this game, but also put him well over the top for that spot. All right, completely agree. Uh, completely agree. I will just say I added Travis Vokalek and and Keaton Mitchell on my on my honorable mention list, uh, along with Ryan and uh, and I think they deserve to uh, you know be, be talked about. In terms I, of I of wanted Ryan. it to be Mitchell, but as I was lo- like from what I want, my
3: eyes told me that Mitchell was on that list, and then I looked at the box score and it didn't agree. Well, he's his <laughs> is
2: his he was betrayed by his line by Vokalek. In fact, on one play, yeah. we got talked taken down for minus five, and uh, and oh, he had some short yardage runs anyway we don't need to go at all of this but but anyway it, it obviously wasn't a good day but it was, it was primarily a function of the penalty and the and the play by book like taking a lot of yards away from him uh jordan thanks again always a pleasure to talk football with you and what do you know we went over again in terms of our time to get this done and uh and i don't i don't even mind i, I love talking football with you and i hope the listeners don't mind with a little bit longer episode uh i think you kind you of starve to discuss some live fire at this point right. in, the, in the year. You hope your listeners are just as eager to hear some additional discussion of live fire.
3: I, I know you're going to plug your shorts later. This is why you don't invite me to any of the shorts because we'd never, uh, we'd never keep it under time. <laughs> we, wouldn't, it wouldn't <laughs> be a short. we wouldn't be on a short.
2: Where can people talk football with you online?
3: Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Raven Sint Room. Um, we're also got a podcast with my co-host, uh, Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. Um, you can find that at filmstudybaltimore.com.
2: We're excited for this upcoming year. Yeah, very much so. Uh, you know what a film study short is? Contact me by DM Twitter if uh, on Twitter if you'd like to be part of it. I'll get back to you very quickly. We'll we'll discuss through what might make a good episode and try not to have us be building an airplane, just a nice, simple component of a discussion that we can talk about that's an interesting, maybe philosophical question or thought experiment. I love those kind of things. They always make a very interesting discussion and uh, love to talk to you. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on film study.